This morning we have the privilege of hearing from Pastor Sally Weiss. And Pastor Sally, along with her husband, Pastor Scott, um, also named Pastor Scott, not me. Um, <laughs> they were co-pastors at uh, a covenant church in Scotts Valley. Um, but now uh, Pastor Sally is working with Caprio College with a program designed for students that have experienced either stroke or some kind of brain trauma. I've appreciated uh, Pastor Sally's teaching, and you'll get a chance to hear her in just a second, but she's originally from Australia, which means she has one of the coolest accents in all the world. So can you welcome Pastor Sally? Thank you, sir. Thank you, uh, Scott. It's good to be here with you this morning, and thank you for your welcome. Actually, my husband sometimes gets really annoyed that I have this accent, because he says, you can stand up and say the same thing as me, and everybody thinks, whoa, that sounds so cool, just because of the accent. So uh, (laughs) it's just an accent, and uh, praise God, uh, the reality of what we want to hear from this morning is straight from here. It doesn't matter what accent or where we come from. Scott and I actually visited here with you a couple of months ago, uh, simply to uh, join you in fellowship and really enjoyed uh, immediately feeling part of family. And I think that that's one of the blessings when we come together with people that we don't know and that experience of being reminded we are actually all part of one family. And so that alone uh, for us is a blessing this morning to be with you and to be reminded that our family exists everywhere, all over the world. And we don't see it in the news, but uh, this family is doing the mission of God and asking the question, what is it for me to participate in this mission of God all over the world? So thank you that we get to remember that in some way together this morning. When I was in my 20s and still living in Melbourne in Australia, I went to a convention centre one evening to hear Nelson Mandela speak. I'd been in the same venue for basketball matches and for a couple of concerts, but it was really different to be in this huge crowd of people uh, cheering and applauding for someone who was a champion of human rights and peace and reconciliation. It was very powerful to delight in the good work of a person rather than simply cheer because I was being entertained. Tomorrow we remember... Martin Luther King Jr. And again, I'm grateful for the boldness of his challenge and the possibility for change that he ignited. These two men are just a little taste for me of what it might have been like to be in a small synagogue in Nazareth when Jesus read from the book of Isaiah. Pastor Scott reflected on this story a couple of weeks ago when he introduced this uh, series that we're doing and the mission of God. It's found in Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. But picking up at verse 18, Jesus had taken the scroll of Isaiah and found these words and read them out. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And I love the description that Luke gives us in verse 20 immediately after that. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
and the eyes of everyone on the synagogue were fastened on him. It was quite something to be in the convention centre, listening to Nelson Mandela and the experience of noise and applause and the cacophony of sound, but it is something to be in a place of electric silence and expectation. And into that silence, Jesus said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your excuse me, in your hearing. I need that glimpse of God's mission. I need to hear those words, that incredible promise, good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners of every kind, recovery of sight for the blind, and oh Lord, our blindedness, release for the oppressed, proclaim for the year of the Lord's favour. I will confess that this past year, normally I'm a little bit of a the glass is half full kind of person, but if I'm honest, I've been really discouraged. As I've listened to the stories in the world of our brokenness, our bigotry, our harassment, our inhumanity towards one another, it's really gotten to me more than usual. I need to hear this. I need to know that God is at work and on mission. That God's work is about redeeming all of this and transforming all of it. I need this hope. When Pastor Scott introduced the series a couple of weeks ago, he identified two two key questions for us to ask. What is the mission of God? And what is my participation in this mission of God? It's this second question that I want to think about a little bit more today. And so we're going to return to Luke 4, where we finished off a couple of weeks ago. I want to quickly look at three stories that follow that one. And then there's a question I want to consider in in response to the narrative that we have before us. And the question is, is it possible to love the mission of God, but resist the method? Is it possible to love the mission of God and yet resist God's methods? If we turn to verse 22 in Luke chapter 4, we notice how people responded to Jesus at that time. And it says, All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words, the words that came from his lips. They were so impressed, and yet how quickly it's going to change. Because rather than riding on those praises of the people, in that synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus kind of confronts them pretty quickly. And he says, no prophet is actually accepted in his hometown. He says, you're going to say to me, physician, heal yourself. Which could mean about him personally, or it could mean actually about them as as Nazareth. You are Nazareth. You are us. Heal us. Heal yourself. Be all about us. He told them, you're going to say to me, come and do here what we hear you do in Capernaum. Come and do it here with us. Make us the center of things. He says, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And he gives them a couple of examples from Israel's history where actually God walked 
in a sense, past Israel and blessed a foreigner. And what do we find? An incredible shift. Where in verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Verse 28, the people in the synagogue were furious. Furious. They drive him from the synagogue to the edge of town where they're built on a cliff and they want to push him off. That's a shift. What an incredible change. I don't fully understand why these words caused such a dramatic response. But I do get that he confronted something in their self-centeredness. They anticipated being at the centre of this. They were pretty excited that this one was coming up here in Nazareth. They would be demanding. And they would expect Jesus to prove himself and bless them. And Jesus says, that's not how it happens. This is not how this mission is going to unfold. You won't be at its centre. Ouch. In verse 31, we kind of come to another section of the narrative of what happens kind of after Jesus has given this incredible declaration of what he is going to fulfill. He goes to, to Capernaum and begins teaching in the synagogue there. And in the same way, there's a similar response. Uh, verse 32, they're amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. He continues to teach. He heals, he drives out demons. It's wonderful. There is amazing power. And his message and his action, we're seeing the work of God take place. And the story tells us that many are brought to him and he heals and he drives out demons. And the demons even recognize him. and They say, you are the son of God. And he actually requires them to be quiet. So there's kind of this hiddenness and mystery in it. And I want you to notice what happens at verse 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent and he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. It's certainly not the scene of conflict that Nazareth was, but there's something uh, reflected in a similar way. The people don't want to lose him. They don't want him to move on. There's so much more in Capernaum to do. There's more healing to do, more, more demons to, to be freed from. But they have to let him go. They don't get to hold on to it. They don't get to say, Jesus, just stay here. There is great delight in hearing the mission and being part of it, but in a very kind of strange way, Jesus almost disappoints them at the same time. They can't keep him. They can't own him. They can't claim him as their own. And it causes me to ask the question, is it possible to love the idea of participating in God's mission, but sometimes almost be a little bit disappointed or resist the ways God goes about things? 
So I turn now to the third story that follows, and it begins in chapter 5. Now, obviously, I'm not reading verse for verse, and I really encourage you during the week, if you come back to it with this question, what's my participation, to read from that declaration of Jesus saying, this is being fulfilled in your hearing today, and to read slowly and carefully through these stories. But the third story begins in chapter 5, and now Jesus is standing at the lake of Gennesaret. Again, he is teaching, and it's kind of crowded. He gets into a boat And he pushes off just a little bit and teaches from the boat. And the boat belongs to Peter. You may know this story, but it's kind of good, I think, to read this story in the context of the other stories around it. And so after he's taught, Jesus tells Peter to to push off into the deep and to let down the nets for a catch. And Peter, who's actually the fisherman, respectfully says... um, We were kind of out all night and didn't get anything, but because you say so, I'll do that. So they go out, they put the nets down, and if you know the story, you know what happens. An abundant catch, amazing catch, completely unexpected. I love that song. (laughs) The unexpected action of God. Peter has to call another boat over and get some help in, in pulling in these nets because they're starting to break. And what's Peter's reaction? In verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's almost the opposite of the other two stories. Where the other two people wanted to, to hold on to and claim and keep. And Peter says, Oh my goodness, you got to go you got to go away from me. I can't even be in the presence of this. It's really interesting to contemplate. Why was Peter afraid? Our family watched the movie last weekend called Chasing Mavericks. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a story of a young man's quest, a true story, uh, to surf mavericks, which are those huge swells that happen out here on the California coast near Half Moon Bay. Actually, the Mavericks competition for this year is either tomorrow or Tuesday, if you want to take a look at it. In my mind, it is nuts. Absolutely crazy. My kids, 12 and 10, are watching it thinking, oh, that's amazing. I'm thinking, that is crazy. No way should you be out there. The footage of those swells, 30, 45, I mean, you're just like this on this massive wave. Think, no, you don't play with that kind of power. And I wonder if it's a little bit that kind of feeling that, that Peter experienced that day. He got a glimpse in some way of the power of God and he just knew, you don't mess around with that. What if we encounter God at work and realize this is not like anything I've seen before? I've seen before. When we speak about participation in God's mission, we confess it's God's mission and not ours. It's God's work. It's God's ways. It's God's power, and we participate. And the way God does that might confront all our definitions of power and influence and the stuff that we swim in every day of our lives. So I come back to my question. Is it possible to love the idea of the mission of God 
and to say, yes, Lord, please, God, be at work. But actually to resist the methods that God uses. I made the choice to accept Jesus as my saviour and to follow God when I was 12. I committed to that and have tried to live that way for 35 years. But if I'm honest, there are things I still resist. I, I kind of want the, the capture of Jericho. I want to circle the city and, and blow the trumpets and whew, the walls come down. That's kind of what I want. And I think God can and does do that, but there's a whole lot of other ways that God uses. And I don't get to say, God, could you do it this way? I sometimes want God to work differently, quicker, overpower our brokenness that grieves me. And I am having to return to a place of submission and hope that comes out of trust, that God knows why the ways God chooses are actually the most powerful way for him to be at work. So if we think about our participation in the mission of God, let's be mindful that Luke kept these stories for a reason. I mean, if you were writing a gospel, would you have the proclamation of this is being fulfilled and then the downer? Kind of doesn't seem right, not really to me. But he keeps these for a reason, a recognition that this is kind of the resistance that Jesus encountered at the time. And actually, there might be windows on some of the resistance that we still have. So no matter if we've been a follower of God for many years or whether we're really just beginning to consider that question, what's my participation? How do I get to be part of this? It could be helpful simply to be realistic about some of the things that we resist. And I would say name it and confess it. Name it and confess it. Confess where we want to own the work of God. Confess where we want to keep it. Confess where we want to control it. Confess when we fear it. And that confession will be different for each one of us, and it will be different in different seasons of our lives. But perhaps coming with the authenticity that says, I want to participate, but there are things I want to resist. I want to pick that bit and pick that bit. And yet... I want to be ready to fully follow you, Lord, and fully participate, including the ways that you do things. I've had to name something this past year that at first glance might not seem like it has anything to do with the participation of the mission of God, but I think it does. Since coming to the United States, uh, we came, uh, we were actually working in East Africa in Tanzania together for a number of years. Um, so I had gone there from Australia and then uh, we moved here in 2011. And since coming here, one of the things I've really struggled with is what I get paid for the work I do. Not so much exactly what I'm doing right now, but for quite a while I've worked part-time and my hourly rate's pretty low. I actually just put up the sign because at the beginning of the year of all the the human resources requirements and I put up the minimum wage thing the other day and thought, hmm, kind of close to that. Okay. <laughs> it gets under my skin, if I'm honest. And there's reasons maybe to wrestle with it, just practical reasons of living in the Bay Area and being like that. But the truth is, it's far more about my ego and status. 
I wasn't paid a lot as a missionary either. Didn't have a problem with it then. Because the reality is the title missionary, whether we like it or not, does have an element of status and ego associated with it. Part-time administrative assistant uh, for a financial advisor, yeah, not so much ego with that. I didn't like to tell people what I did. I'm not the success story I thought I would be. And I've had to name that. I've had to name how much that gets to me and prevents me from seeing that I really am part of this mission of God, no matter what I'm doing, no matter where I am, no matter what my ego says, no matter what my status says, I am part of it. But I've resisted that. I've resisted the fact that God might use me in ordinary circumstances, on ordinary days, in a very ordinary job, as a very ordinary person. And I wanted to say to God, can't you use me a little differently? I've had to name it and confess it. I've preached for over 20 years that we are on mission no matter what we do, no matter where we are. And I still struggle with it. This is good for me for the first time in my life not to be in, in Christian ministry. <laughs> because I've had to name it and confess it. And to trust that God knows how to go about God's work. God knows how to use me. God is graciously reminding me that the work of God continues in and through me so long as I'm ready to work in the ways that God works. I love that in response to Peter's fear, Jesus simply says this, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Don't be afraid. A couple of months ago, I was reading a magazine that is produced for the alumni of the high school that I went to, and the principal there had been on sabbatical and was telling a little bit about what he'd done, and my school was actually kind of modelled on the um, British missionary who went to India, William Carey. The name of the school was Carey, um, and, and, and based on things about Carey. So the principal had been in India and was kind of pursuing some of those things about Carey. And he encountered one of the things of Kerry's writings that I had forgotten, where Kerry says, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Oh, that statement rings so true for me. There's a good chance that to participate in the mission of God means that I might not be super successful, but I get to be part of things eternal. What if even the little things I do become part of the salvation and transformation of the world? These stories might remind us today that it is possible that we kind of resist sometimes the ways God goes about God's mission. But they also can remind us that there is nothing to stop us participating in the mission of God. When people wanted to own him and control him, Jesus said, uh-uh, this is for everybody. I'm going to everybody. And when Jesus talks about preaching everywhere, it's not just so that people could receive the gospel, because in receiving the gospel, 
immediately is the invitation to participate in the gospel. There is no barrier to any of us participating in the mission of God. And that is good news, no matter who we are or what we're doing, what season of life we're in, wherever we are. He came to this ordinary fisherman, Peter, and that was no barrier. He came to Peter at work in his boat and said, here, now, anywhere, anytime, any of us gets to participate in this mission of God. The gospel, I think, is full of paradox, and I love the truth that's in paradox. This work of God is powerful and confronting, and yet it happens in ordinary people in ordinary life. I hope that we can receive these words also that Jesus gave to Peter. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you get to catch people, and that's what we get to do when we participate in the mission of God. Do you get that? To catch people. In the very best sense of the word, to catch them in their disillusionment, their distress, their loneliness, the pain of their sin, and be part of restoring them. Be part of seeing God's power at work to bring life back into dead places. What a great thing that we get called into being part of. We get to catch people. A couple of chapters over from here, I think we find, again, teaching that possibly you've heard before and know well about how God goes about God's mission. And it's found in chapter 9, beginning at verse 18. Peter's confession of Christ. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? Verse 19. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And then he tells them the way he's going to go about being the Christ. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then he gives the invitation for those who want to follow him, to follow in that way. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. There is God's mission And God has methods. And we're called into those methods as well. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Will save it. 
I think that that idea of taking up a cross um, in some respects has been misused at times. So one of the things for myself to kind of stay on track with that that I like to stay to say is to, to take up the way of the cross rather than try to identify what, what's my cross. I, I don't know exactly what my cross is. To take up the way of the cross, the way of submission, of service, of of humility, humiliation, humility. To take up that way. There's a couple of things that, in order to help me choose that again, have kind of been important to me over the last 12 months. Because in some ways, too much of my information about what's going on in the world comes from NPR and BBC. I have a couple of kids that I drop off to school in the morning and then I've got about 15 minutes in the car before I get to work and I like to know what's going on and so I will listen uh, to those and if I'm completely honest, like I said, this last 12 months it's kind of gotten to me and almost, almost daily it feels like by the time I get to work I've either got tears on my cheeks or tears in my eyes because the news doesn't tell me about the people who are following the way of the cross. They don't tell me about uh, the, the mission of God that really is going on. They tell me why we need it, and it breaks my heart, and I lament over, over the brokenness that I might hear in the world. So I have been reminded that I need to hear some other things, and I need to remember some other things, so that I can continue to have the strength to choose to go in the way of the cross to choose and trust that there, there is power in this way and that this is God's way and that's what I'm called into as well. So this is just really by way of testimony, a couple of things that, uh, that have been really helpful for me in kind of getting back on track a little bit this last 12 months. One thing actually had to do with journal keeping. I've never been good at it. Um, I tend to sort of start again and I write all this stuff and it feels like the same stuff I wrote 10 years ago and I give up and put it away. But I went to a retreat last April and one of the things um, in that class was a journaling class and I really liked some of the ideas in it. So I decided to, to have another go at it. And then at the place where I was volunteering at the time but actually work now, which is at Cabrillo College at this stroke centre, I was helping in our counselling classes and we decided to introduce the idea of keeping a gratitude journal with our students. Uh, many of our students are uh, wheelchair-bound or because of a stroke they don't have control of a dominant hand, so writing might be difficult, you know, different things. So we decided we would do it together in class. So each week at the end of class we did our gratitude journal. So on a third of the whiteboard we would simply start to name the things that we were grateful for and we wrote them up. And at the end of every class we took a photo and at the end of semester I compiled that into a booklet and said... This is our gratitude journal for this semester. And it started as 10 minutes and it went to 15 and 20 and 30 minutes of our class because it was really important for the students to start to name what they were grateful for. And as so often happens when you teach something, you start to go, oh, all right, that would be good for me. And uh, so I started to keep a gratitude section in this journal that I was um, coming back to. And I don't do it a lot. And my ideal is a couple of times a week and I'm not there yet. It's sort of still haphazard. But the process of naming what I'm grateful for because what I'm grateful for 
is usually the stuff that is about the mission of God. It's the stuff I hear or see or do or receive that is about God's goodness at work. And I need to name it and be grateful for it and proclaim it and recognize the strength and the power in it. And so I think that the way of God, the way of the cross, being people who participate by being people who take up that way of the cross daily, the part of it is to be grateful in the midst of it and to name what we see of the power of God and to give thanks for it and to remember The second thing that I was reminded of actually happened during last summer at our church. We were doing a series on the Psalms and it was called Trails and our worship intern wanted to ask people within our congregation to bring testimony in some way. And I'll be honest, I don't really remember many of the sermons, but I actually remember most of the testimonies. We hadn't kind of done it for a while. And it was a really good reminder that to hear from other people what they are seeing is so important. I do remember one of the women who works at Dominican Hospital in Santa Cruz, which is a Catholic-based hospital, and she shared with us about one of the sisters that she had come to know. This woman uh, became a sister at age 17, and as kind of just a little piece and little piece of her story uh, came out, it, it became apparent that for 63 years, she had served faithfully as a sister in some very difficult places overseas and for many years here at the United States. And for me, the important part of the story was not that we heard anything of her great successes. We didn't really hear anything, but simply her faithfulness. Simply the fact that he was another person who, like me trying to, was uh, choosing the way of the cross. And then she finished the testimony by saying, oh yeah, at 80, she's actually about to head to Syria. Oh, wow. I love that. I need to hear that. I need to hear the stories. Because the reality is that story, which is incredibly powerful, doesn't make it onto the BBC or onto NPR. And it's not going viral on Facebook, right? And yet... Isn't that the reality of what's going on in the world? Isn't that the truth? So for me to be motivated, prompted, sustained, maintained, to be somebody who says, God, I want to participate in this mission. I need to hear your stories. I need to hear yours. I need to hear other people's stories. These stories are part of what helps me pick up the cross daily and follow Jesus. As we continue in this series on the mission of God, I pray that God will give each of us insight into what participation for me looks like. What does it look like in my everyday? Am I resisting in some way the ways that God goes about things? Do I want something more dramatic, something I can name and claim and say this victory? Or am I willing to accept the way of the cross? And can I do it faithfully and joyfully recognizing, oh my Lord, there is power in that. Thank you. My day is filled with very ordinary things. I make lunches, I drive kids to school, I go to work, I listen to the news, I maybe visit a neighbor, I fill my gas tank, I pay the bills, I text my mom. In all of that, is it possible to be part of the mission of God? Yes, in the midst of it all. Yes. When I follow God into grace, 
and mercy and love in the way of the cross. When I follow in humility and forget my hourly salary, hourly wage, forget my ego, forget my status. When I go in this way of humility, yes, I get to participate in the mission of God. Praise God. Praise God for God's mission. And praise God for God's methods. May each one of us embrace them fully. Amen.